Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to this episode of MedHeads. Today, we're very lucky to have with us a special guest, Mr. Rick Cowley of Vision Quest. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Hey, Fergal. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. So uh, you're not, uh, you're, this is not the first time you've been on the show. Uh, so thank you for coming back. I really appreciate the opportunity of chatting with you today. Um, I wanted today to explore some definitions and concepts that we've both been chatting you know, offline. I wanted to talk about you know, what it is that gives people mental well-being, mental health well-being. And there are some ideas that suggest, or some theories that suggest, happiness is all about you know, this, this, this unfettered quest for hedonism. Uh, and others believe, well, actually, no, it's, it's more about you know, uh, achieving your purpose in life. And this is why I was particularly interested in, in your opinion, because one of the tenets of your program, Vision Quest, is identifying purpose. So what's your idea of the definition of hedonism and hedonia? First of all, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, okay, I picture like drunkenness, nakedness, yeah. um, laziness, um, substance uh, misuse. And yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. I, you know, that's just, I don't know, I just have this image of like a painting, you know, of just all this crazy stuff going down um, right. that's just, just completely about pleasure. That, yeah. I think that's that would be my definition of yeah. hedonism. It's completely about pleasure, yeah. And then I suppose we can move on to you know what's your what's your definition? What's your idea of uh, purpose? Purpose. Uh, I have. I think I have a unique way of of uh, um, looking about, talking about, and defining purpose based on my work and how it's evolved over the last ten years. But yeah. the the main the main thing with purpose is um, your unique energy and a way of being that uh, that contributes and uplifts and empowers people in the way that only you were to do. Yeah. So that that's it. The purpose is, is really like how you show up and how you be. That's the biggest, you know, contribution to the world and the people around you. So let's explore that a little bit more. So it's the uniqueness. It's purpose is unique to you. Yeah. And it empowers you. But it empowers you to do what or to be what? That that I would say it's a good question. Um, you know, from what I've seen, it's we, we got to aim at something in our lives. <clears throat> we're, we're, mm. we're doing something. We've got to spend our days doing something. You know, we've, yeah. we've got to spend our days working, eating, exercising in our relationships. And purpose informs what your, you know, what your dreams, what your goals, uh, w w what ones are right for you. And, you know, most people 
try to get a sense of what their dreams and their goals are without having a sense of what their purpose is. And, you know, it's, and, and it's still better to have those kinds of dreams and goals than no dreams and goals. But mm. the, 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 the right for you dreams and goals are the ways that you express and fulfill your purpose. And when you have those kinds of dreams and goals, that's based on an, an understanding of your purpose, then you're, you're filled with this sense of not like, I, I really hope this happens, but it's like, I can't not do this. That's how important it is. Mm. It's like fundamentally important to your, your, your well-being just to be who right. you were born to be here. Yeah, I like that definition. So a purpose is I can't not do this. I like that. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's actually an internal conviction that this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to be. Now, <clears throat> let's introduce some kind of posh words here. So... For pleasure, we have the word hedonia. Whence we get, um, whence we get the word uh, hedonism. And I think that's a good. Um, I think that's a good representation of pleasure. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then we have. Then we have to try and find a word that encompasses purpose. And this is where I think you and I may have a, a difference of opinion. So I liken the word eudaimonia to purpose. And I use eudaimonia to emphasize the difference between purpose and pleasure as characterized by hedonia. But I think you have a, you have a different concept of uh, eudaimonia. How would you describe it or define it? Well, I'd never heard that word until we were chatting a few days ago. And so I, I looked it up and what the definition said was um, human flourishing, prosperity and blessedness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's um, I'm just kind of looking at, you know, your, what you've said about it and what Wikipedia yeah. said about it. And yeah. So there's a couple of interesting words there that you've said flourishing and prosperity. Now, I actually think that 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 basically is wellness. Right. Now, I think it's important, in my mind, I view hedonia and eudaimonia as the X and Y axes of a graph, which if the line of that graph goes midway between the two, that is the zone of flourishing, you know? Because you can have a life full of hedonia and no purpose, which is bad, and you can also have a life of, eudaim of, of, of purpose, but no pleasure. And that's also bad. So, I mean, I, I use uh, the example of two film characters. So the film character played by John Belushi in the movie Animal House, he, for me, represents the embodiment of hedonia, hedonism, you know, and he's got no purpose in life. That is not a way to live for, for the vast majority of people. And then if, if we look at the Terminator movies, we have the character of uh, John Connor, and his only purpose in life is to destroy the Terminator. There's no pleasure in his life. There's no warmth. There's no joy. That too surely is not a way to live. So if you accept that, you, that uh, purpose and pleasure are kind of at the end spectrums without each other, they actually don't contribute to flourishing. But if they're combined in the right measures, a little bit of both in the right measure, that's where contentment lives. That's where flourishing goes that's where wellness lives so for me wellness is all about the right amount of 
purpose and pleasure. Now maybe where, 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 or maybe I'm confusing the definition of uh, eudaimonia with purpose rather than that beautiful area where you've got just the right amount of purpose and just the right amount of pleasure to make a contented life, a, a, you know, a purposeful, happy life. But you know, I, I think from a clinical point of view, I use the, the concept of eudaimonia to mean purpose and hedonia to mean pleasure. And I think equal measure of both gives wellness. How does that sound to you? I, I think that's I think that's right on. Um, yeah. I think that also the you know the the ironic thing is that how most people live actually doesn't have that much real deep pleasure. It's more like distraction that mm -hmm. they think is pleasure, but it's just relief. It's relief from the stress. Um, so they're not even really doing hedonia. And they're not really doing purpose either, because most people don't understand, you know, what their what their purpose is. Their they, yeah. their work, which is really your greatest opportunity to express your purpose, is just a means to make money. So they're they they're missing out on both. They're not they're not being hedonists, and they're not living, you know, with purpose. So they're kind of in in like a muddy land that's 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 neither of them. And I think that that's right. It's a really great thing to start to contemplate looking at, okay, how do I, how do I really tap into pleasure and how do I tap into purpose and bring the balance in to get to the flourishing? Because we, at the end of the day, we want to flourish. We want to be well. Now, this, this reminds me of our previous discussions and, and your company is called Vision Quest, Vision with a Y. Now... <laughs> I subsequently found out that the vision quest is, 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 a, is a kind of a ceremony that young adult Indian, American Indians go through to try and find their, their avatar, their spirit, their name, and also with that, their purpose. Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, about the traditional the ceremony quest. or... Yeah. Uh, so as far as I know, what, as far as like the traditional ceremony... It's yeah, rite of passage for young men in you know Native American culture, to to go and be be guided, and have a deeply spiritual experience where they're they're basically getting information, they're getting vision about what they about their who they're here to be, who they're here to become, mm -hmm. um, you know mm -hmm. their role, their role in the world, their role in work, the role in their their tribe, and. What I what I have created, I actually didn't set out to create a vision quest. The theme at, at first was how do you get into the flow of life? Because when you're in the flow, everything's working, you're in alignment, um, good things are happening. And yeah. what I discovered after years of doing that is that the first thing is to help people connect to their purpose and their vision so they know what direction to go in because life is carrying you in that direction anyway. So when you know that direction, then you're working in alignment with life and that puts you in the flow. But the first step is your purpose and your vision. Right, right. I think it's a very clever idea to actually have a company to reinvigorate, reincarnate a, an old traditional ceremony that helps people find out where they should be going. Um, I, I think it's a great idea. So let, let, we're, we're going back to this concept of wellness. So wellness is predicated on understanding your purpose in life. Flourishing is predicated on understanding your purpose in life. But there are a number of other issues that are associated with, 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 associated with wellness. 
One big issue for me is the quality of social connection. I mean, you know, from my background as, a, as an addiction specialist, addiction can be thought of as an erosion of meaningful social connections. How do you feel about social connectivity and how does it relate to your vision quest and or purpose? Uh, first, can I ask you a question? Can you tell me a little bit more about that, about addiction is the erosion of social connectivity? So Where addiction, do you see that playing out? Okay, right. So addiction is the erosion of meaningful social connectivity, right? Now, mm -hmm. there, there are a number of levels of looking at that. So um, first of all, you can, you can think of the Diagnostic st Statistical Manual version 5. One of the diagnostic criteria um, for the diagnosis of substance use disorder is an impairment of personal relationships. But when you think about what happens in addiction, so you start, your life starts becoming completely overwhelmed by either obtaining drugs, using drugs, or recovering from drugs, which means that you cannot meet your obligations in life, which means that your relationships, your meaningful relationships suffer. And your friends and family will forgive you at first, but eventually there will be this dawning, awful, horrific realization that their loved one, i.e. you, has got an addiction, a substance use disorder, and there is this backing off, there's this cutting of ties from meaningful relationships and then the person is is ultimately surrounded by relationship or, or, or embedded in relationships with people who are fellow addicts or fellow dealers and these are not meaningful relationships and then recovery is the gradual process of cutting those ties and trying to then re-establish either this old or new meaningful relationships so for me social connectivity is all. I mean, I, I also remember watching a video by um, the the guy that wrote Lost Connections. I think his name was Johan Hariri, right? And in his second book, Lost Connections, he talked about mental health and how it was basically a lost connection with various aspects of, of health and various aspects of positivity. But in his previous book, uh, uh, Chasing the Scream, he described... The, the loss of social connectivity is particularly uh, salient in, in the course of addiction. And he described his own battles at maintaining relationships with people he loved who were suffering from addiction. And he was saying, look, it's difficult for me to do this, but I want to still love you. And one of the messages he had said is, you know, the, the best thing that you can do for someone who's suffering from a substance use disorder and addiction is to, within boundaries, and with, you know, and to, whilst protecting yourself and others, etc., is to keep that reaching out, keep that open mind, keep the relationship, or at least the possibility of a meaningful relationship, open with someone as they are going through their journey. So that's why I say, uh, sorry, one more thing <clears throat> before I conclude. So in terms of relationships, we, there was also a famous Harvard study. It started, I think, in about 1927. And they tracked Harvard graduates over their lifespan. And they find out that, you know, a couple of things. Firstly, they find that everybody goes through trauma. Everybody goes through pain and suffering. You cannot escape pain and suffering in life. But what you can do is learn how to cope with it better. 
And in this cohort study, they found out that the people who had better, more effective social relationships coped better with their pain and suffering. And so on a basic healthcare level, for me, I've come to feel that the most important intervention that I can help people with is by helping them understand the value of social relationships and how social relationships can be a force for healing. So that's why I say that addiction is an erosion of meaningful relationships and recovery is the, uh, the reintegration of meaningful relationships into somebody's life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that explanation. I, I hadn't, I hadn't um, you know, heard that correlation between addiction and the erosion of meaningful relationships. So um, it makes But I could also suggest it's, I could also suggest it's the erosion of meaningful purpose. Because I think that purpose, mm -hmm. eudaimonia, is also incredibly protected. And this is something that you know, I'd love to explore with you as well. You know, how can purpose help in recovery? Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah. No. Um, I think people, you know, the challenge with purpose is most people are starting, uh, starting from behind. Um, it's like, uh, because because of the, in my opinion, the influence of school and teachers and society and media and everything, people are, are taken off the track of their purpose from when they're really young. And it's really yeah. only, only a small percentage of people that are so connected to their purpose and who they are. You know, it's that person you know who was like born to be a musician or who was born yeah. to write books on mathematics, who just yeah. never was swayed from their path and, and, yeah. and could find their way within the system. The system actually supported them to, to find their yes. way. But yes. for the majority of people, it's something that's more unique than fits into school classrooms and, um, and even you know, jobs that you can get, where you, you, can, you can find jobs that allow you to express your purpose. And if you have, you are so lucky. And, are, and you gotta remember how lucky you are because most mm. people don't have that sense of purpose. So it's not mm. only, it, it's, it's reacquainting yourself with the possibility that you have a greater purpose. Like that yeah. there's, that maybe, it, it actually can be a very empowering thing to, to say to yourself, okay, maybe the reason why I, I'm suffering right now is because I do have a purpose. I have a way that I'm supposed to be using my gifts and I'm not using them. And it's mm. a good thing that I'm hurting right now. It's a, it's a wake up call. Um, so that's the first thing. And then it's getting some support and doing some deep, deep re reflection on what is most meaningful to you in your life. Mm. The times in your life when you were happiest, when you were most fulfilled, when you did feel purpose, when you felt like you were making a difference and like kind of mm. following the breadcrumbs of your life uh, about really what what is is your purpose? What are you here to do? Who are you here to be? Yeah. <clears throat> so one of the theories that I've got, <clears throat> and uh, I'm looking for your um, endorsement or correction of this, is that when people find their purpose, the strength and meaningfulness of their social connections improve. And then that contributes to an improvement in their overall mental wellness. What do you think about that idea, that purpose creates meaningful social connection? For sure, for sure. So a few, <clears throat> a few thoughts about that, and from what I've seen, 
with my clients, but then also what I've experienced in my, my own life is that when I really connected with my purpose and I started following it, you, you actually kind of become a different person than how people know you. And so there is a natural, uh, almost breaking away with the old version of you and even your old life um, temporarily, like some of those relationships will kind of break away temporarily a little bit as you reset the, the direction of your life. And, it, and then as you become more solid in who you really are and what's important to you, then you, you start to re-enter your world and those relationships. And some of those relationships will thrive and go even deeper because you are, you, you really are being yourself more than you ever have been. And some of the relationships you, you may have to let go of. It, it is like mm -hmm. an addict in recovery where they're saying there are people that support the old version of me that, yes. I, that I'm, I'm not strong enough yet in myself or it's just, it's just not aligned with my life anymore. I have to let go of those relationships. And that, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of aspects of our lives. Like there might be a job you have to let go of. There, there's, you know, social scenes and places that you go that you might have to let go of, specific relationships you might have to let go of. But what is replacing them is all meaningful. It's meaningful relationships. It's meaningful work. Um, and then what I've found too is that you, as you get to understand yourself and your purpose, you become more comfortable in talking really openly with people about what's going on for you. And this is something that's, that doesn't come naturally for me. I'm more of a private person and kind of aloof. And my first real change with that was when I had leukemia when I was 21 years old and saw a therapist and started to actually say what my real thoughts and feelings were for the first time. But then once you do and you start to kind of practice with that, then you you can't not do it. Like it just feels, um, it feels shallow and you realize you're not really sharing yourself with people if you're, if you're not being real like that. And so you keep kind of pushing yourself to be open and be real and allow other people to be open and be real. And that is going to allow the, the meaningful connections to happen. Okay, so here's another concept for you. <clears throat> Purpose, social connections gives you strength and resilience. Is that the best way of meeting challenges? Or is happiness in life about avoiding challenges? No, this is also like, you know, my nature. I don't like challenge. I don't like conflict, you know. Um, so a couple of things to say to say about this from what I've seen. Um, I was reflecting recently. A lot of the stuff has been a th themes that I've been reflecting on coincidentally in my life since I've I've moved countries. I've uh, from Bali to Australia since COVID happened and moved my retreats over here. And I've had uh, an immense amount of change in my life over the last six months and it's been really challenging and I've I've had to deal with things differently and ask for more help than I've ever had to ask for and I'm and I, 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 I'm coming through it and I I um, I was reflecting and saying you know what what do I most wish for my my kids I have two kids 16 year old daughter and 10 year old son and I think like you know, what are the main things I want to instill in them or support them to, to have or to be? And one is to have a healthy way of dealing with pain. Because like mm. you said, we're all going to go through pain in our lives. 
And what I saw was the, the things that I was doing to distract myself from the pain instead of just being with it or being proactive with it. And I have a friend who, who, who doesn't distract herself. She just, and I would talk about it with her and she's like, I just sit there with it. You know, she doesn't drink, she doesn't do drugs. She doesn't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> she, 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 she doesn't distract herself or try to numb herself. And I was really inspired by that. And I saw that that is something that I, that I want for my kids, which means it's something that I want for myself. So I've been looking at how I deal with pain. How do I, you know, am I willing to face it? What am I doing? What are the habits that I have that are distracting myself from it? And I think that, would you say that I think that, that the root of, of, you know, addiction with say substance abuse is it's just an unhealthy way of dealing with the pain. Is, oh, absolutely. I mean, mankind throughout the ages is, has been great at identifying very, very effective in the acute stages ways of dealing with pain, be it psychological pain or be it physical pain. But the problem comes when, when we use these same, uh, same solutions in, in the longer term. And, you know, for me, the, the, the escape from pain or the quest for psychiatric oblivion associated with the, with the escape from mental or social pain I think explains a lot of, but not, not all, but a lot of um, substance use disorder. Because remember, a lot, but not all of our patients with substance use disorders have been traumatized, um, either in childhood or growing up. And certainly, I mean, you know, if you think about you know, trauma in the sense of post-traumatic stress disorder, one in five of Iraq veterans who went back to the States who had a diagnosis of PTSD also had a co-diagnosis of um, substance use disorder. So the relationship between pain, trauma, substance use is there. It, 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 it's, it's very much prevalent. And you mentioned, you know, how do you, what, what can I teach, what can I give my children in terms of how to, how to allow them to sit with pain? I mean, for me, there's a couple of psychological therapies that allow that that that, that are very effective in in dealing with social pain. So you've got to accept first of all you can, that the idea that you can escape pain is maladaptive. So then the the other the only other alternative is that you have to face up to this pain. And so techniques like mindfulness meditation, uh, acceptance and commitment therapy, um, and also there's a newer technique certainly for fibromyalgia pain. Um, uh, emotional awareness and expression therapy. These are therapies that allow us to sit in the present, understand our emotions, and deal with the pain more effectively. And one of the things that, I mean, when I, when I first started out in medicine, it was actually in the last millennium, um, I thought that you know psychological interventions associated with pain and suffering was just mumbo-jumbo. I thought it was all, you know, it was all unevidenced and ineffective. I have come vault face to realize now that, we, that it really does work. And one of the things that has really impressed me recently is I read a statistic that they've tracked the aging process in the brain as time goes on, and they've identified markers of aging in the brain. And people who, who do regular mindfulness meditation, actually, by the time they're 50, 
have brains that are biologically, not, chronic, not chronologically, but biologically seven years younger than their counterparts who do not do mindfulness. So from a longevity point of view, mindfulness meditation actually keeps the brain young. Social connection keeps the brain young. Dealing with pain in an appropriate way keeps you healthy, keeps the brain young. So for me, I've shifted from a very biological model of healthcare to a very much a socio-psycho-biomedical model of care, and that includes understanding the role of purpose, the role of social connection, and you know the uh, the, the role that meditation plays in long-term health. Mm. Mm. So uh, let me let me, I have well, one thing that came to mind that, that that goes with this theme. Well, is there's been there's uh, been a lot of swell recently up here. There's big waves, and I was out body surfing. Um, it was two days ago. I went out three times, and it was just—it was just crazy waves. It was really wild, and and you know, getting getting thrashed about, and you know, trying to ride in the barrels of these waves is so fun for me. And I, and you just take a pounding, and the waves, you know, it's like I put myself out there because you know I'm comfortable out there. It was still, it was, it was, it was exciting. It was you know a bit scary, but I knew I'd be fine. But I put myself out there you know, left the safety of the beach and and went out there to kind of challenge myself and get these thrills and, you know, practice and become better in the waves. Yeah. And it's like, and I think it's a really powerful analogy for life is either you can either seek it out, you know, you can either follow your inspiration and mm. seek it out and leave your comfort zone on purpose and rise up to these challenges. Or if you, or you could just sit back and wait for life to give you the pain mm -hmm. and give you the challenges. And then you have to rise up and kind of fight your way out of a corner. And yeah. e like either way, there's the pain element, there's the, the, the outside of your comfort zone element, and you can either do it proactively and follow your dreams, or you can do it um, passively and have to fight your way out of the corner. Now, to me, that speaks of self-efficacy. And what, is that, what does that mean? Well, self-efficacy is the ability to actually cope and get on with life despite pain and suffering. And, I, and from a medical point of view, certainly in the pain world, people who have low self-efficacy do not take on board the, the teaching and learning of chronic pain classes. They, 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 they would prefer to stay at home, become chemical copers and not meet their challenges, not meet their pain head on. People with high levels of self-efficacy take on board the teaching of a, of a chronic pain clinic, will do the physio, will do the meditation by themselves at home, and also are more likely to return to work. Mm -hmm. So self-efficacy for me is, is crucial in, in helping people with pain in, 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 in chronic pain clinics. Now, self-efficacy, uh, you know, from, from my understanding of, of, of the management of chronic pain, can be learned can be taught, can be learned by observation or experience. But when, but when you get that rush, when you realize, yes, you can do it, 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 it becomes in and of itself an addiction, you know, to, to a certain extent. It gives that, that same pleasure center that mediates addiction also mediates the rush of joy that you get when you realize for the first time, I can do this. Yes. And I suppose that links in back with purpose, because if you've got purpose, 
then you are the only way that you will manifest that purpose is by exercising your self-efficacy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but I, but I'll just ask you for one further statement on this subject, Rick. Purpose is such a powerful tool and motivator, and just like you're saying, it's like when you get a taste of that self-efficacy, and the the taste that oh my gosh, I can I can make a different choice just a small choice that's in the right direction and get a different result and feel and feel pleasure from that as well as purpose then people can start to you get you do get a new addiction to more more meaningful contribution um being productive being connected and uh, yeah. yeah it's a it, the purpose is a beautiful addiction that's a great way of ending this episode <laughs> thank you rick kiley from vision quest spelled with a y Thanks, Fergal. Thanks for having me again. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Thanks for joining us on this episode of MedHeads. We'll see you next time.